Hello, and welcome to season 10 of the Hope Motivates Action podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Recknell, a workplace mental health professional, speaker, podcaster, and an expert in hope. Bringing you these episodes with these incredible guests is my absolute favorite. I am so grateful for the privilege to share stories of transformation and to help you move through your own transformation with our one-on-one work together and with the help of the professionals who come on the show. The science of hope and positive psychology has had such a huge impact on me and my work. So I love that I also get to share knowledge, research, and stories from the evidence-based science as well. It is my sincere wish that you hear something that resonates with you in these episodes, that you feel the contagious power of hope, and you are motivated to take action over what you can control, all towards creating a future better than today. I have such a passion for this work, and I love connecting with my clients, with you, my listeners, and with the guests on this show to help create transformation. And speaking of guests, let me introduce you to this week's guest, Jessica Razdahl. Named one of the top small business experts to watch in 2018 and the founder of one of the top websites for solopreneurs in 2020, Jessica Razdahl is helping small business owners scale their impact and income through tried and tested communication strategies. As a best-selling author, motivational speaker, host of the Speak to Scale podcast, Jessica partners with small business owners to help them scale their businesses and impact from the stage. Jessica has shared her story of turning her mess into a message for over 15 years and has been featured on major international media outlets such as ABC's 2020, Katie Couric, The Guardian, MTV, Netflix, and many more. Today, Jessica is fiercely dedicated to helping small business owners craft presentations and speaking strategies that connect with their audience and scale their business from the stage. When she's not handcrafting presentations for industry experts, she's homeschooling her children in sunny Florida, which is so much different than the frost-covered trees I'm looking at outside my window. Jessica brings a ton of energy and hope into this discussion. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a pleasure to have you here. I am so excited for you to share your story with the audience. I think you have an unbelievably courageous tragic, incredible story of hope. And I know that there will be so much in your story that will resonate with the audience. So maybe we'll start with, um, Jessica, could you share a little bit about how you use hope to motivate action in your life? Yes. Uh, thanks first. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I, as like an Enneagram seven, the like keep it all positive. I couldn't be more excited to be on this podcast. (laughs) I love all of this. I am, so by day, I am a motivational speaker and public speaking coach for entrepreneurs who are using speaking to really increase their impact and reach more people. So in my day-to-day life, it's all about really using hope to inspire change and action and and in every aspect of my life, whether that's getting my kids to do their homeschooling or getting, you know, thousands of business owners to believe that that scary thing they want to do, that next step for them is possible. I really understanding that so many times when we step in front of a room full of people, they they do not believe what we know is possible for them is possible for themselves. And, and when we know that, we're able to show up with hope for ourselves, hope for them, and hope that in turn they will share that, which we'll talk more about. But I didn't get into this world of speaking. I didn't start doing this because I wanted to be on a stage. In fact, I'm a raging introvert. I'm so happy in my little cave at home. You know, I'm, I like my bubble, but 
you know, the plans that we have for ourselves are not always the plan that is there for us. And my, when I was heading into college, you know, a long time ago, I had all the hopes and dreams for my future. I knew that business was something I was obsessed with. I knew I was going to go down that route. I didn't know what it would look like, but I had a business scholarship and I figured, you know, the plan, the plan that everybody does is, you know, four years in school followed by maybe some more school and we sit in a big office until we're done. But one Friday night, um, I made a decision that changed everything. I was the driver in a fatal accident that nearly claimed my life and killed my best friend who I had known since I was five instantly on impact. We were one mile from home. We were five minutes from where we were going to be and our world completely shattered in an instant. I went from worrying about midterms and what I was majoring in and should I get a master's in a matter of moments to am I going to make it out of this car? Who is this person next to me? How will I go on? There was blood on my hands that I would never be able to wash away. And in the weeks following, I had so many questions that I would never get an answer to. The, you know, why did I make it out of the car? Why not? You know, why was it not me? Why was I not in that seat? There were just so many things that I would never get an answer to. And all of these whys, these what ifs, like what if I had done this instead? What if this were eating me alive? And I'm a fixer. I want to take action. Like I want to do something. I need to keep my hands busy. I don't want to talk about my feelings. I just want to fix it. But there was no fixing this, right? I couldn't, there was nothing I could do or anybody could do to change this. But I kept, I knew like I couldn't go back and change it. But what if? I could do something to change the future. What if I could prevent another life from being lost? What if I could keep her memory alive? And maybe in this process, I could somehow find a reason to keep getting up every day. Well, it was about to be prom time at the high school I had just graduated from. And I remembered the horrible assembly pre-prom. The, I went to a private school. So the, what you can you wear? How far apart do you dance? All of these things. And Well, I had a feeling that that wasn't a very effective assembly. I knew they were going to host it no matter what. And I reached out to the school and I asked if I could come talk. I said, I have no idea what I'm going to say to these kids, but I know I'm supposed to be there. And I had just graduated from the school not even a year earlier. I knew everyone in that auditorium. And I showed up and I shared our story and it worked. Nothing happened that year. And it lit a fire in me and I saw this glimmer of hope. I saw the potential that if I was able to just, you know, put all of my guilt and fear and shame and all of these things I had brewing inside of me to the side and for a minute ask, what does this audience need from me? Share a vulnerable story in a way that could change not just one life, but more lives than I could ever calculate. Her life would not be lost in vain. And I went on a mission and just started speaking everywhere they would have me and here we are 16 years later, and my, while my speaking looks very different, um, still on a mission to show up, meet my audience where they are, and leave them better than I found them. Oh, Jessica, what an incredible story. Like, there is, there is almost no words to hear how you, how selfless you are, and how future-focused, and how you're 
authenticity to support other people comes through in the language that you're using there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And I know I can only imagine the journey of the last 16 years to get to this place where you can share your story in a heartfelt but matter-of-fact sort of way. And I appreciate, I can appreciate that journey being on a, you know, a speaking uh, journey myself in in no way, shape, or form as polished as you are. So I can definitely appreciate how hard just sharing the story is. Um, I can tell you that in starting this work, starting this work in hope, it came from a very personal place um, as well. And the recognition of the importance of sharing my story in my own healing, like the impact of my own healing on on talking out loud, right? Fears are louder in the dark. I'm a huge believer of that. And when we can share our story so that others can be positively impacted, can, you know, help somebody from making a decision that they may have made otherwise. Or, you know, like my husband says, if we can, if, if we can help one family not go through what we go through, that is worth it right there. Um, and so anyway, all of those words to say that, thank you so much for sharing your courageous story and continuing to share it out there to these high school kids and everyone else who, who has heard it. Um, yeah, it's, it's an incredible thing that you do. Thank you. It is, it's definitely been an evolution. I'm, and I'm glad I remembered this time to say it's been 16 years because I think sometimes <laughs> people will come across my story. Um, it was very, very highly, pub- highly publicized in the beginning of the journey. Um, so people will hear, you know, come across a TV special that covered my story back in like, you know, 2010 or something and, or 2000 and, you know, early years, because this happened in 2006 and they will watch that and it's raw. It's a lot fresher. And it, then they jump and they see me today working and, and a mom and doing the things that I'm doing. And they just forget about that in between. And just assume that it's it was it's like a switch that was flipped that you went from being in the thick of this to you know like actually no guys this has been <laughs> sixteen years in the making there's still some really rough days most are better than others but uh, it's like it's one step at a time it's it's not a jump by any means well and it's like you say it's not a linear path no. even forward right like. I have to imagine that sometimes you feel like you're taking two steps forward and one step back, even or now, like 16 one years step later. forward and six steps back, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but I'm going to keep I, stepping either way. <laughs> like I'm just going to keep going. Well, and that's it. And that brings me to a thought I had as, as you were speaking about that propensity to take action and sort of to take control over the things you can control, which my definition of hope, and people have heard this a hundred times, but my definition of hope is that the future will be better than today by taking action over the things we can control. And you mentioned how how helpless that you felt because there was things you could clearly not change, things you decisions you made that you could not take back. But yet you continue to take action and continued uh, to take control over some of the things you did have agency over. Can we talk a little bit about that? And and I know and I know that you kind of intentionally live your life in that way. Yes, you know, like especially right after the accident, I was in the hospital for over a week. I could not get out of bed. I could not 
walk or wash my own hair. Like I hadn't, I had, I felt like everything was gone. Um, and it was as though as soon as I would get a little bit back, you know, just the ability to walk again or to when the sling came off, you know, like as each little opportunity came back to me where I had a little bit more control, like I felt like, okay, well, uh, that's mine now. <laughs> like silly things, like I would want to control, I would want to go to bed. I'd want to stay up because I wanted to do that. <laughs> and I also was just having like debilitating nightmares, but I would try to control everything because I felt like my entire world was out of my hands. Like I was facing a 10 and a half to 15 year prison sentence. I didn't know what the next day would hold. I was, and um, because of all of that, there was so much talk about me. There was, it was in all of the headlines. It was in all of the newspapers at the time there were newspapers, you know, it was everywhere. And what was being said was not always the truth or it was the truth painted through a different lens. And I know that I could, I don't know how, I mean, I was 18 years old. So looking back on that now as a not 18 year old, I am just floored at like, why did I do that? Or how did I know to do that? And I swear just that I was stubborn, but I knew there was nothing I could do to change that. And there was nothing I could do to change anyone's minds. I wasn't going to like, you know, hunt down these reporters and make them change. I knew that talk was cheap and action was going to be the only thing that would change anyone's mind. I get, and maybe that's just me that I was the doubter of like, I didn't believe anything anybody had to say, but I, I knew that I had to just to, you know, put boots on the ground and get out there and show them. Um, I didn't expect anyone to believe me or anything that I said, what my intentions were, how I felt, you know, whatever it was that they were saying that was not true. Um, I don't know. I didn't think words, words mattered much and I needed to just show them. I th- I couldn't agree with you more on aligning behavior and how you show up with demonstration of your values, right? People, like you say, talk is cheap. People can say what they want to say and it's hurtful. And I can't even it imagine does. like the strangers and the creepos that would be commenting on, on all of the things. Um, but like your attitude of, I'm just going to show up as the human that I am, the, you know, aligned to my values and prove them wrong based on my behavior, because there is nothing. I believe that there is nothing more real than what we see in someone's behavior. You know, there's always, there's authenticity in that. There's, uh, you know, our behavior says what we can't say in many, many cases. And I think that that is so, it's so cool how you focused on that and how you used that to embrace your hope when you didn't feel like you had any left to give. Yeah, well, that was the piece, exactly what you said. And that I felt like one bad action, one, you know, one failure, one mistake, one wrongdoing stands out against decades of great behavior and action. And I had made a 
horrible mistake. And in my mind, I knew that it was going to take 10 times the the good choices, the the right thing to not, there was no making up for what I had done, but to, to even have a say in this conversation. But for me, it was a matter of, I kept, you know, people didn't want me to talk about this. They didn't want me speaking. They wanted me to just like crawl into a hole. They wanted me to be the statistic. They wanted me to fall into addiction or to not continue waking up every morning. They wanted me to give up. And all I kept thinking about was I had a choice. I had a choice now. I got to choose what my next step was going to be, whether people approved, whether they didn't approve, whether it was easy, whether it was hard, whether it made me cry, made me sick, made me sad. I had a choice to make. And Laura did not get a choice. She didn't get a second chance. She didn't get to choose to give up. And I didn't really care what I was going to be facing because at the end of the day, the thought of like letting her down or wasting away the second chance that I had been given weighed a thousand times heavier than anything anybody else could say to me. Talk about using your hope to motivate action. (sighs) Unbelievably powerful. Um, Tell me a little about, so like the decision you made is one that hundreds of thousands of us have made and had a completely different scenario. I mean, you didn't set out to intentionally harm your friend. This was not something that you your behavior would even show up as thinking that this was something that could ever happen to you. And I I can imagine people that are going, "Well, I've off, I've I've I I get behind the wheel of a car when I know I shouldn't." What do you say to people who make comments like that? Cuz I imagine you must have faced a number of those over the last 16 years. Oh my goodness. Yes. That is such a great point. Um, There is something to be said about learning how to receive feedback that is not necessarily feedback, but is somebody processing what you're saying. (laughs) And (laughs) that has been a very interesting one for me. Um, because whenever you're sharing a difficult story, whenever you're sharing something that's deeply personal with another person, your own journey, they, and you're, you're creating this connection with that, right? Like we are firing off new neurons in our brain that say, I can see the world from your perspective, which is amazing and incredible and so powerful, but we're also opening the door for them to share their stories and their experiences with us. And you've got to be ready to receive that whether they're uncomfortable or messy or well thought out. And a lot of times the way that somebody is going to process this complex thing that we shared with them is for them to share a shared experience. And that's why sometimes when we're telling a story, people may interrupt us and be like, oh yeah, my friend so-and-so went through that. And in the moment it can feel like, why are you talking over me? What does it have to do with this? Why didn't you just listen? But really what they're doing in, in their brain, they're like indexing, I've heard something similar. Here's what, it's just the way that they're breaking this down. So very often when I will sh- you know, share my story, people will then reach out of, oh yes, I've done that. Or I know someone, it didn't end up that way. You shouldn't feel X, Y, Z. You are not responsible. That was not your fault. Great. I understand you feel that way. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate you. Um, but at the end of the day, 
There's nothing anybody can say or do that is going to make me feel differently about what I did. I have accepted this. This is my reality. That is how I deal and cope with it. I did this. I made that decision. This was the result of it. And I've, I have accepted that. Nothing anybody says is going to change that. And I will honor their opinions and appreciate it and thank them for that. But I'm definitely going to take that with a grain of salt. Because for me, it's, I don't need to, to change the way I have viewed that. I, I have, don't have to say I've necessarily like forgiven myself or any of that, but I have accepted my reality. And that's the only way I can move past this is, and move through it. I shouldn't say past it. I can move through it because uh, it's a living, breathing thing that I'm dealing with. Um, but those what if questions in the beginning, what if it had been differently? What if all of those open-ended things spiral and it can leave you in this cycle that just keeps going and going and going. But when that sentence can end in a period instead of a question mark, like this was, this happened, it allows that sentence to end and you get to start the next one. That allowed me to be in control of the narrative of what would happen next. But the only way I could say what would happen next is if I defined what happened before. So for me, those questions, those more like, well, it could have been, I I just can't. I appreciate and love everybody's. This could have so much. But for me, this is, this was. It can't be a question. So powerful. I love what you said about creating opportunity for the sentence to end so that you can move through to what's coming next. You can continue that healing journey. That is unbelievably powerful. Um, You know, I often think about how if it matters to us, it matters, you know, and it's cool to hear you say that you hold space for people who want to share their thoughts and their similar stories or, you know, their experiences as a way to make that connection with you. And that's awesome. You know, that that's cool. We want to make these kinds of human connections and hold that space for people. Um, But it's also cool how you're setting boundaries because you know where your healing is coming from and will continue to come from through, I'm sure, many, many hours of professional support. <laughs> so much. <laughs> hours and dollars. <laughs> right? To get to this place. <laughs> because, you know, it's 16 years in the in the making and I've shared my story hundreds, if not thousands of times. I can't math. I've, you know, I've written a book about this. I've worked with therapists. Like this is something that is a living, breathing thing for me. And I, when somebody meets you in the middle of your journey, they don't see the whole picture. They don't know how much work you've put in. And it's easy for them to, especially if they're, they're fixers, right? Like I am, they'll want to like fix you and and tell you it's okay. And it's going to be all right. Um, and it's not my job to correct them. I, it is just my job to meet them where they are, receive it. And I don't have to implement every piece of advice I'm given. And I think that's that is really being able to distinguish maybe my therapist giving me a strategy or tip to implement and somebody who met me five minutes ago. It doesn't mean that I might not come across a stranger that is going to share something completely life-changing with me. I will take it, receive it, and run with it. But it's important for us to be our own advocates and to protect our safe space that we are working so hard to create. 
I like what you say about, um, you never know what piece of information is going to resonate when, even if you might've heard something similar before or continually, I find that I don't actually take action on it until I've heard it when I'm meant to hear it or when it's the appropriate time. Yes. So I think, I think it's cool to, to seek out opportunities to keep hearing stories like yours and to listen to podcasts like yours and, and things like that so that we can find those nuggets of information when we need them. Yeah, I think that's very, very cool. Um, something I was thinking about as well when you were telling your story is, you know, at the beginning of your 16 years or, you know, I guess let's, let's talk about kind of in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. cause I imagine that many listeners are thinking, okay, I've, I've had this tragic thing happen to me in my life, but I have not found a way to start the journey forward, to start the healing. Could you share with us maybe some things that worked for you to, to start taking action on this journey? And, um, again, not to say that anyone should take your advice or do this thing and hope for a miracle, but maybe something might resonate and, and something could, somebody could take something away that they could try. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's such a great question. Um, because so I think a big part I just breezed right over cause it's really uncomfortable to say out loud is that I, you know, through this whole journey, I spent four years that I should have spent in college in prison. I spent four years in prison, um, and came home afterwards to, to start over again for another second chance. And when we've had something difficult happen to us, or we have made a difficult decision, we've had, we've experienced something hard. We create a narrative. We create a story that we tell others, tell ourselves, whatever it may be. But what happens as we move through our journey we keep telling that story from the place of whenever we wrote it. So for me, maybe that story in the beginning of the girl waiting to go to prison, when I came home, I was, I felt so stuck of who am I now? And it wasn't until I went back to that story and really had to rewrite this narrative I was sharing with the world. I was no longer that girl waiting to go to prison. I was now the woman who had made it out the other side. And there was a a whole world ahead of me that I had to figure out. And I would challenge you that if you're at a place where you're feeling stuck in an old cycle, that maybe you're still telling a story from a season you're no longer walking in. And I have found that just sitting down and creating that sentence with the period, not the question, to really kind of round out that first chapter and move into the second is so important. Because we're going to tell that story from a completely different perspective. We're standing somewhere else. Um, and, and just the act of going back to that whenever it's starting to feel uncomfortable or heavy, it's probably because you have outgrown the story or this narrative, but you haven't taken the time to revisit it yet. I love that imagery of our life as a story of chapters. Because, you know, when we read a book... We don't expect that a that a character in the in the book is going to stay in the same place chapter after chapter after chapter. So why would we expect us as the humans to stay in that place when our story is still left to be told? That what a great what a great analogy that imagery just it makes a ton of sense and I it reminds me also of um, Donald Donald Miller's 
theory of story writing, right? He writes a story brand and he talks about how there's four characters in a story, the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. And it, it, you know, it, it makes me think about what, you know, when you're writing those stories, when you're writing those narratives, which one of those characters are you at that time? And recognizing that you, if you feel like you are the victim in your story, that you don't have to stay there. You get to come out and be a hero, maybe looking for a guide or following a guide. Um, but just writing that story, recognizing that narrative is so powerful as self-realization and sort of that self-awareness um, point of view. You know, and we go through these seasons of life, think of as a kid, like you go through elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, we go through your, your right out of college years, you have like having small children, you know, kids leaving the nest, empty net, like there are all of these seasons and those transitions are hard. Those transitions are hard because you're like shedding an identity and those same transitions and seasons come with navigating any kind of trauma or, you know, past hardship. And I just don't think those seasons are talked about nearly as much as the education ones. <laughs> yes. The, the ones that give us lessons to learn. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's, um, as I'm listening to you speak, I am imagining being a client of yours and, you know, someone who is in, who is aspiring to be a speaker, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, um, the way that you would encourage people to be the version of themselves that they don't even know or believe they can be yet. Um, can you share a little bit about how you work with people and how you inspire hope in, in those fine folks? Yeah. So I, in the very beginning of my story, I told you like, as a teenager in high school, I was obsessed with business. Like growing up, I was just always like, that's where my heart was. Um, and it still is to this day. And and I work with business owners very specifically who are using stories and speaking to show up and inspire their audience, whether that's somebody who is, you know, leading a company and a team and wanting to inspire their team to run the company, or they are a service provider, a coach, a consultant, somebody doing something for somebody else, and they're wanting to inspire their audience. But I think so often when I work with our clients, with our students, they are tend to be their like industry's best kept secret, right? They are so good at what they do, but they keep that all. There's so much humility there. And my job is to be that mirror for them, to show them the impact that their work is making so that they want to get out and get in front of their audiences and they can be the mirror for their audience. They can stand in front of their team or their audience or their community um, and be able to say, like, I see you. I, I see what's possible for you. So in the work that I do, I get to be that mirror for our clients. And in turn, our clients get to show up on these stages and be that mirror for their audience. And it creates this ripple effect of inspiring a little bit of hope to the business owner who can in turn inspire hope to a room full of audience members who we hope would go out into the world and share their experiences with everyone they interact with. While it's a different stage and a different audience than it was 16 years ago, it's the exact same mission. 
of stepping into that auditorium room in front of a few hundred high school students and hoping that if I could just show up and share this with them, what message would they go out and share with other people? How would this ripple effect continue in ways that I could never measure? Talk about spreading hope into the world. Absolutely. That 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 is one of those contagions that we can get behind. Absolutely. Amazing. Jessica, what gives you hope? You know, I, I'm so analytical <laughs> and I'm not, I tend to be the like, well, how does that work kind of gal? Um, and so often there's, there's two things for me. There's one, the, the data aspect here of like what I've been through over all these years, the things that I have overcome I really can't imagine something coming up that's worse. I, I mean, I don't want to imagine that something would be worse, right? But so often the data that I can make it through hard things and good things can come from difficult seasons, that gives me so much hope for the future ahead when I don't know what's ahead or when I don't f- always feel that the success that I'm deserving of success or happiness or whatever it is that I'm facing. And then on the flip side of that, there's always that reminder in the back of my mind that I made it out of that car and she didn't. And I get a choice every single day of how I'm going to show up in this world and how I'm going to try to leave it better than I found it because Laura doesn't get that choice. And for me, the, the data that I can do hard things and knowing that I, I'm going to work every day to make her proud, those two things give me hope more than anything else. So beautiful. You give me hope. Your story (laughs) and your ability to stand up and share with us the courage, the hopefulness. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so, so much for being here with us and just sharing your brilliance. It's been, yeah, it's been incredible. So thank you so, so much. Thanks so much for having me. This has just been such a joy. I look forward to continuing our conversation and uh, for sure we will share links to all of your places in the show notes. Could you share with us uh, where those links will lead us? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really easy to find. You can just head on over to jessicarazzle.com or on any platform. I'm Jessica Razzle. Um, I'm always, you can always come to shoot me a DM. I'm always there to chat. Not only intelligent and, you know, motivated and driven, but also available to all you fine folks. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you again. And I look forward to keeping the conversation going. Thank you. Take care. Yet another incredible story. I mean, I literally say that after every episode, but I wouldn't publish episodes I didn't think were incredible now, would I? I mentioned in the introduction that it's my sincere privilege to share space with these guests to bring their stories and their expertise to the podcast airwaves. And honestly, I learned so much from their wisdom at the same time. That's the thing about this work. It's in the storytelling, the language we use to express our innermost narratives. That's what has the most power of transformation. Sometimes when we don't know the words to use, we just won't say anything at all. And that can lead to negative rumination when the stressors in our lives can lead to burnout. The topic of burnout, stress, and why the differences between the two matter is something we talk a lot about in my most popular training workshop titled From Burnout to Hope. In this 60-minute workshop, you'll learn to apply evidence-based strategies and tactics to reverse your feelings of overwhelm and languishing and activate the hope circuit in your brain for a future better than today. It's transformational, personal, and dare I say, 
guaranteed to increase your hope levels. You've heard me say it a hundred times, but I believe that fear is louder in the dark and talking about loud about the fears, aspirations, and the anxiety-inducing situations we find ourselves in is an amazing way to move towards the transformation of a future better than today. If you'd like to learn more about language and how you can leverage the science of hope in your life, I'd love to share the From Burnout to Hope training workshop with you. You can find more information about it on my website at expertinhope.com forward slash burnout to hope. I truly believe that the future will be better than today by taking action over the things we can control. And conversations like this really reinforce that hope. Looking forward to keeping the conversation going, so reach out anytime. As always, I'm here when you need me.